Welcome back to the Growing Patriots podcast. I hope everybody enjoyed the end of their summer and is having fun getting back to school. At the beginning of the podcast, we talked about what all the different colonies were like, how they were founded, who lived there, what kind of things happened there. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about what life was really like in the colonies, how people lived their day-to-day lives in the 18th century, which means in the 1700s. Learning what life was like is my absolute favorite part of learning about history. In this first episode back, we're going to talk about what life was like for kids in colonial times. Here's Elle to tell you more about it. Hi, my name is Elle. I am eight years old and I live in California. This week we're learning about colonial kids. My questions are, what did colonial kids do for fun? What was school like for colonial kids? How did colonial kids dress? When did colonial kids become a grown-up? Aren't those great questions? I'm pretty excited to get to the answer. Just like now, life was really different for different kids. So kids in a city might have a different kind of life than a kid who lived on a farm. Or kids who had different parents might just have different kinds of lives. But most colonial kids had to work pretty hard. And maybe the kids who had to work the hardest were called indentured servants. I bet you've heard the word servant before. It means a person who does jobs for somebody else. But what about the word indenture? That's kind of like an agreement. So it means an agreement to be a servant. So back in the 18th century... People, both adults and kids, would sometimes agree to be a servant for somebody. It was usually about four to seven years in exchange for being able to come to America. So the person they were going to be working for would bring them over to America, give them food, clothes, and a place to live. And then at the end of their four, five, six, or seven years, they would be free and living in America. But for those years together, their life might not be that great. One of the best ways to learn about history is to hear from the people who actually lived it. Like a letter from an actual kid who worked as an indentured servant in the 1700s. Hi, I'm Tabitha. I'm 16 and I'm from Texas. I'm reading a letter from Elizabeth Spriggs, who was an indentured servant, to her father. Maryland, September 22, 1756. Honored Father, my being forever banished from your sight will, I hope, pardon the boldness I now take of troubling you with these. My long silence has been purely owing to my undutifulness to you, and well knowing I have offended in the highest degree put a tie to my tongue and pen, for fear I should be extinct from your good graces and add a further trouble to you. But knowing well your care and tenderness for me, so long as I retained my duty to you, induced me once again to endeavor, if possible, to kindle up that flame again. 
Oh, dear father, believe what I am going to relate, the words of truth and sincerity, and balance my former bad conduct, my sufferings here, and then I am sure you'll pity your or distressed daughter. What we unfortunate English people suffer here is beyond the probability of you in England to conceive. Let it suffice that I, one of the unhappy number, and toiling almost day and night, and very often in the horse's drudgery, I am tied up and whipped to that degree that you'd not do to an animal. I am given scarcely anything but Indian corn and salt to eat, and that even begrudged. I am kept naked, no shoes, nor stockings to wear, and the comfort after slaving during master's pleasure. What rest we can get is to wrap ourselves in a blanket and lie upon the ground. This is the deplorable condition your poor Betty endures. And now I beg, if you have any compassion left, show it by sending me some relief. Clothing is the principal thing I need, which you may easily send to me by any of the ships bound to Baltimore Town on the Papasco River in Maryland. In duty to you and aunts and uncles, and respect to all friends, honoured father, your undutiful and disobedient child, Elizabeth Spriggs. Wow, that was some letter, huh? I know the way we talk has changed a lot, so that might have been hard to understand. But we learned from that letter that Elizabeth Spriggs really didn't want to go to the New World, but her dad sent her. And she was writing back to him to say that she needed things like food and clothes because she really wasn't treated very well. So being an indentured servant was one way to get to America, but it was a hard one. But a lot of kids had lives that, in many ways, were like kids today. They went to school, they played with their friends, and they spent time with their families. And now it's time to learn a little more about that. Joining me now is historian and author Rowena Miller. I'm starting at the beginning. What did uh, colonial kids do for fun? So colonial kids um, often had a little bit less time for fun than modern kids do just because they were responsible for chores around the house and would be expected to start learning um, how to manage whatever trade or farming or business um, that their parents were involved in uh, pretty early. So um, they may have had a little bit less time for fun, which is probably good because they often also had less uh, toys to play with. But they certainly did have time for fun. Um, they certainly did play with toys. Um, we know that girls particularly had um, dolls. They were usually uh, made out of wood, actually, and then could be dressed in um, all the same layers that an adult or a kid would wear. Um, from the inside out, so we know that girls could kind of practice getting dressed and dressing someone else, sewing for their dolls. Um, they would also often um, play with found objects. So, you know, we see kids playing with cast off, um, maybe a broken piece of a tea set becomes their tea set, or um, picking up sticks, we, you know, kids' sticks become swords, right? Sure. Um, <laughs> Little boys and girls might play with pole toys. Um, little boys might play with um, drums or other martial kinds of, of things to play soldier. And we also know that kids had pets. Um, we often see in portraits and in sketches dogs and cats and birds and even squirrels. Oh, so wow. Animals that um, kids might have to play with. Um, so that was another way that kids might amuse themselves um, in, at home. 
Um, and you talked about you know, dressing dolls and things. How did kids dress in the colonial era? It depends what age they were. So babies, um, infants, tiny little newborns, wore what we call layette or infant linen. They wore layers of just simple white linen clothes. They would start with a little infant shirt and layer petticoats and little kind of, we call them bed gowns or jackets over them. Um, but that was just an easy way to keep them warm, keep them clean, um, easy to change their diapers in that. Mm-hmm. As they got a little bit older, infants would wear gowns as well um, that laced or tied in the back. When they were really little and just kind of crawling or starting to move around, they would be long to cover their feet um, to keep them warm and keep them out of trouble because you can't crawl very well when you have a long skirt on. Um, And as they got older and became toddlers, the skirts were shortened so that they could walk. Um, What's interesting is that little boys and little girls both wore gowns. Um, Little boys could start to wear when they became toddlers a front clothing um, gown that kind of looks like a long coat or a coat dress, um, but both wore skirts, long, you know, dress skirt kind of um, looks to them. Um, boys would keep wearing those skirts until they were um, old enough to be potty trained consistently. So by about four years old, boys would start wearing breeches like their dads. Um, little girls would keep wearing gowns. And what's different in a little girl's gown from a grown-up's gown is that it actually closes in the back. Women's um, gowns during the period will close in the front, either just down the center or with a stomacher in the middle mm-hmm. to space it. Um, but little girls, their gowns would lace up the back. And you can also tell a little girl's gown because there were um, what we call leading strings on the shoulders, little straps that come off the shoulders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have heard people say these are for helping small children learn how to walk. But I will tell you that they're also really handy for grabbing a kid who's about to run out into the road <laughs> or getting a little bit too close to the fire. So they're um, a, a safety feature. And as the kids get older, I think it was also just sort of a, a juvenile um, affectation that stayed on little girls' um, gowns until they got to be about 11, 12 years old. And once they hit puberty, they would start to dress like adult women. Okay. Um, and that really leads into another one of Elle's questions, which was, when did childhood end and you know a child become a grown-up? That's a really good question, and it's. Um, I think it reveals a lot about how we think about childhood and how we think about adulthood. Um, when we think about childhood, um, our colonial era counterparts didn't necessarily think of childhood the same way that we do. The idea of childhood as being kind of a special, magical time of development and growth really gets a lot of influence from the Victorian era and later. Um, so they expected kids to be pretty responsible pretty early on um, in the 18th century. Um, However, we also kind of think about sometimes what responsibilities or privileges do you get? So, for example, you know, we know when you're 18, you can you can vote, right? And some of you're an adult when you're 18, or I always joke with friends like, oh, when you're 25, you can rent a car. Maybe that's when you're a real adult. <laughs> um, but colonial era kids, um, they could they could join the army when they were 16. So that's one spot that we might think of that um, people at that time said you were pretty mature at 16. You could commission into the army. Um, we might think about when they left school. So many kids, if they were going to school, would leave by 12 or 14. So that might be a time when they start to transition into more of an adulthood. Or we might think about when people got married. Um, it's kind of a... Um, historical myth that everyone got married when they were teenagers in the 18th century in the colonial era. Benjamin Franklin actually talks about um, how 
people in the Americas and the American colonies were getting married earlier than their English counterparts. And by earlier, he meant in their early 20s. So most people by their early to mid 20s um, were getting married. So maybe that's a point that we can kind of think about when a colonial era kid transitions fully into being um, a grown up is they're getting married at about um, 21, 22 for a woman and 24, 25 for a man and starting a family of their own. Okay. Um, and you talked about leaving school. What was school like for colonial kids? A good question, and it would really depend quite a bit on where you were and what you had access to. So for kids who are lucky enough to live in a town or a city, um, especially in New England, they set up schools that were available for kids to go to. Um, so boys and girls could go to grammar schools that were available to them. Um, if you didn't live near a city or even um, before you were old enough to go to grammar school, you would you would be taught at home. Um, this is one way that we know that women were often fairly literate during the period because they were the ones who were first teaching their kids. Okay. So your preschool, kindergarten age, you were learning your letters from mom. Mm -hmm. um, and if you weren't lucky enough to have a public school nearby or a school that was put together um, by people in your community, then you would learn at home. Um, from usually your mother. If you were wealthy enough, you might be sent away to school, and only boys were sent away to school to go to academies where they might learn uh, more advanced skills, like more advanced mathematics, Latin, Greek. Learning Latin and Greek was very important to colonial people. It, it signified that you were educated. Um, but girls might also um, receive a bit more education at home if their parents were wealthy enough to hire tutors. Okay, and you talked about um, kids being taught by their mothers. Uh, just a question that I have is, what was motherhood like? So motherhood certainly was hard work. It's hard work now, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in the 18th century, in the colonial period, they didn't have a lot of the modern conveniences that we have available to us, things that we really take for, for granted, like disposable diapers and running water. So it was a lot of really hard work to take care of kids. Um, one thing that we notice is that in household records in, in towns where you had people around that you could do this, often even fairly modest houses um, were hiring their first servant when the first kid came along. Mm. So we know that even for them trying to manage a whole household and kids was a lot of work and they would actually hire out help to come in and help with the cleaning, with the food preparation. Um, so that's, we know that it was quite a bit of work, and we certainly um, can understand even more the burden of the women who packed up and moved to the frontier with their families because you left behind your support network, mm -hmm. perhaps the ability to hire someone to help out or having family um, nearby. People tended to grow up, um, you know, be born, live, and die within, you know, a few miles of each other. So we know they had immediate family nearby, so you probably rely on um, aunts and grandma and, and whatnot to kind of help out too. So they certainly had a broader view of family than just a nuclear family when it came to, to raising kids. Did we miss anything? What else should we know about colonial childhood? Oh gosh, you had such good questions. It's hard <laughs> to kind of think <laughs> beyond that. But no, I think that um, it's, it's a really interesting period too to kind of look at when, when we're doing research we have access to things people left behind, mm -hmm. um, the extant garments, the toys, um, kind of, you know, those physical pieces that you might see in a museum or a collection. And we have portraits and sketches and images. And it's really interesting that throughout the 18th century, 
portraiture in particular starts to relax quite a bit and get more natural. And so we get some really wonderful images of families at home with their kids, um, not posed. I mean, they're posed, but they aren't stiff, um, formal poses. They're acting like family and acting like kids. So this kind of challenges this notion that I think we kind of get of all kids were, um, you know, perfectly behaved, seen and not heard, <laughs> very strict discipline. When we have um, one of my favorite portraits, it's a, a father and his daughter, and she's just shoving a doll in his face. Like, <laughs> yes, Dad, this is awesome. So um, it's a really interesting period to study childhood because I think that attitudes about representing family were relaxing, and it may have been that some attitudes about how you engage with kids were relaxing a little bit too, and we were moving away from that very kind of stiff um discipline, um, Protestant background that we, you know, often had in the New England area, um, and thinking a little bit more about how childhood is maybe a special time, um, and maybe something that we can, um, you know, celebrate a little bit and enjoy in least the portraits that we see, we can certainly see that there are kids enjoying their childhood. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, Rowena, thank you so much for joining us today. We really thank appreciate you so this. Much. Okay. Thank you for coming on the show today, Al. Bye. Bye. So what do you think? Would you have wanted to be a kid in colonial times? Let's talk a little bit more about what we learned today. Colonial kids had to do a lot more work than kids today, so they had less time for fun, but they also had less toys. Girls played with dolls and boys played soldier just like boys and girls do today. All kids played make-believe and played with their pets, although there aren't many kids today who have pet squirrels, are there? We talked about how colonial kids dressed. Boys and girls both wear dresses when they were babies and toddlers, and then little boys started wearing breeches, and little girls kept wearing those dresses. And when did those little boys and girls become adults? Well, you could join the army when you were only 16, and school ended at just 12 or 14. And people got married when they were in their earlier mid-twenties. So any of those might have meant that you were an adult. But even when you were a kid, you were working pretty hard. And just having a kid was pretty hard work. And we know that because a lot of people hired servants to help when they had their first kid. Around this time, though, people were starting to relax a little bit and let kids be kids a little bit more. Rowena talked about how paintings can show that. And I'm going to post a few of those at growingpatriots.com so you can see them. I always have lots of extra resources there like pictures, videos, and coloring pages that go along with the episode. You can also stop by there to learn more about the Growing Patriots books and about me. You can also visit us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can find me at Growing Patriots on all three of those. I'm so excited to be back and to share more about life in the 18th century with you. Until next week, bye! us all from tyranny, risked everything for liberty, and they thought so we would be America, land of the free, America, land of the free, America.